pray with you. And then let's just plunge into this moment. Dear God, uh, that uh, chorus is still echoing in our minds. We, we, we grew up with that hymn. We know it. Somehow out of that, that picture, extract some good news for us right now. We need it. As we huddle together around our laptops all across this country, even around the world. Infuse this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I want to give a shout out to all the Andrews University students who are joining us today. This Agape Feast, we've been kind of posting it around. And if you're connecting with your old campus and your old campus church, we're delighted to have you right now. Now, look, listen, do you know, do you know why that gospel hymn that we hummed along with a moment ago is such good news? I'll tell you why. Because we are living right now in a time of unprecedented nanosecond change. I'll tell you what. Karen and I were up late last night in bed talking, coming, the two of us together, to this sobering realization that life as we know it, you can put that in the past tense, life as we knew it is gone. It's just plain gone. You think of how the world has changed. We don't need to, we don't need to run through the headlines, but you just think about it. the economy, please. Sports. The one little bit of, of, of recreation in, in the American life, gone. Will it come back? Well, who knows? But the economy, sports, uh, uh, the politics, I'm sure it's changed. I have no idea how. Uh, education. Oh, my. Why are Andrews University students on this live stream right now? Because everybody's left the campus. Our church is empty. The church has changed. Everything's changed. So, so come on, Dwight, what's, what's so good news about this, this old rugged cross uh, hymn that was first sung, by the way, you have, to, you have to live in this little community to know this, but six miles from where I'm standing right now, six miles away, a little town called Pokagon, Michigan, the old rugged cross was sung for the first time in public. They got a national monument right there and the chapel still stands. So what's the good news in that? Aha, it's the word old. In this time of unprecedented change, that word old is huge. 2,000 years ago, something occurred that can never be changed away. In fact, you know what? We who are hoping for the future need to be reminded that our hope really starts in the past. That old rugged cross is the basis for every hope we might cling to now for the days that are coming. Uncharted days. Change? Are you kidding? But you know where that line came from? We, we, we just heard it on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and change. I want to take you to where that line came from. Open your Bible with me. Let's go. Come on, Hebrews chapter 12. Okay, so I'm going to be in the New International Version, standing here in my, my living room. Listen, don't look for a PowerPoint to go up. How do you get PowerPoint in this living room? You can't. I have no screen. I have no video uh, projector. But we, it's, hey, we got the Bible in front of us, and that's all you and I need. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's begin in, it's just one verse. So Begin and end in verse 2, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where that word shame comes from. That's, that's where suffering comes from. We just sang about it, suffering and shame, the emblem. I think of Lewis Smeads, the ethicist how he defined, defined suffering. I think, he, I think he hit the nail on the head. Let me read it to you. Can't put it on the screen. Put it on, put it on the hard disk here. 
Lewis Meads, suffering itself takes no talent. Well, I guess he's right about that. It comes to us, takes us captive, pins us down. We are all, everybody in this live stream, streaming moment right now, we are all its victims. Now, some of us have to suffer more than others. True. Some are able to suffer with more grace than others. True again. But what all suffering really comes down to is the experience of anything we want very much not to experience. True that. I mean, are you, are you used to this, uh, this, this lockdown, shelter-in-place business? What, what, how, how long has it been going? About three months now? Feels like three months, doesn't it? I, I just trying to do the arithmetic. Uh, I think it's about three weeks. You remember when we were kids and your, your dad or your mom said, hey, hey, kids, we're going, to a, we're going on a long trip to grandma and grandpa's. All right, it's a long ride. 30 minutes out of the house. True, isn't it? 30 minutes out of the house. Daddy, are we there yet? Mommy, how much longer? Are we there yet? I wake up in the morning and I say, God, are we there yet? Is this, is this still going, this pandemic? Yeah. I suppose if you take Smead's definition, any experience you want very much not to experience, well, I don't want to experience this lockdown any longer. I'm getting tired of it. And I bet you are too. And by the way, the statistics, how are we supposed to deal with these? Last week, so they just announced this week, that last week, 6.6 .6 plus million Americans applied for jobless claims. 6.6 .6 million. And that was twice. That was twice the week before, which was 3.3 million, which was exponentially higher than the previous record they've been, that they've been keeping since 1967. The economy dropping out. Are you kidding? But for some of you right now, those aren't statistics that matter to you. The fact of the matter is that you're suffering already economically. Some of you got some, some not so good news a few days ago. And you're thinking, man, how, how am I going to survive this thing? Yeah. What was that definition of suffering? Any experience we want very much not to experience? You think Jesus wanted to experience the cross? Are you kidding? The emblem of suffering and shame? I got to get one more shout out. And that's to those of you who are healthcare workers, you medical professionals. I tell you, we owe you, we owe you everything we've got. You're keeping us alive. And, and, and we know that you're doing so at the, at the expense of you knowing every day you're stepping into an environment that will expose you to the deadly COVID-19 virus. You do it anyway out of your devotion to the human race. How, how are we supposed to ever be able to thank you? Karen and I were visiting with a young professional, right? So she's a nurse, a specialized nurse, just this week. And she starts crying. She says, I am, I am for the first time confronted with my own mortality. I wake up every morning thinking, well, you know, will this be the day? You say, oh, that's kind of melodramatic. No, it's not. My sister is a nurse out in uh, Sacramento, California. A 42-year-old nurse colleague in the same hospital just died a few days ago. We're dealing with unprecedented danger. And the health workers of America, God bless you all, out of the world, really, wherever you live, the health workers who step into that crisis to, to protect the rest of us, God be with you. Yeah, that's the world we're living in. Under him going a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Yep. Where did that come from? <laughs> we just read it. Read it again. Hebrews 12, 
Verse two, let us fix our eyes. Oh, I like that. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. A friend of mine sent me one of those good news, sad news uh, stories that are coming out of this pandemic. Happened over in Belgium. You might have read about it. It's just a few days ago, by the way. 90-year-old Belgian woman, her name's Suzanne Hoylerts. She's experiencing a lack of appetite and kind of a, a shortness of breath. So I'm reading here. She, she, when, when her condition begins to deteriorate, she goes to the hospital there in Belgium. She's hospitalized March 20. Okay, so then, that's just a few days ago. A test showed that she had contracted, you got it, COVID-19. When her, when her breathing becomes more labored, the technicians bring a ventilator for her. And she goes, no, 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 no. And I'm quoting her words now. I had a good life. Keep this for the younger patients. Two days later, she died. Well, it reminds us of the words of Jesus, doesn't it? What did he say? Greater love has no woman than this. And that she lays down her life for her friends. Greater love has nobody than this. That they lay down their lives for their friends. It's exactly what Jesus did at Calvary. The emblem of suffering and shame. The story of the cross. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. I got to tell you, that word endured, that's an amazing word. It's, it's a compound word, okay? It's a compelling word, but it's compound. That means there are two parts to it in the Greek. So here's the word. In the Greek, it's hupomeno. Hupomeno. Now, hupo, uh, we in the English world, we don't say that hupo, we say hypo. Hypo. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up, they used to call the shots that we would get at the doctor's office. And there was a kid on my block that wanted to go to the doctor's office. And when you're a missionary's kid, uh, you got to go for that annual physical. But they would, they, they, they would call them hypos. And so as children would say, Mommy, are we going to have to get a hypo this time? I'm telling you, hypos. I'm, even, I'm married to uh, one of the greatest hypo deliverers. And you know why they call it hypo? is because it's hypodermic needle. Hypo, you go under, because that's the word hupo means under. Hypo means you go under, and then dermic is referring to our, our skin. So a uh, hypodermic needle under the skin. This is a fascinating word. So the first half of the word is hupo. Hypo means under. Now the other half is a beautiful word. It's meno. On the eve of Jesus' execution. So this is late Thursday night. He stops by a vineyard. And he says, to the, he says to his followers, yo, I want you to abide in me and I abide in you. As the vine, as the, as the branch abides in the vine, that's what I want you to do. The, 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 the New International Render said, I want you to remain in me as I remain in you. Oh, that's beautiful. But guess what? It's the two halves that aren't so beautiful. Hupo means under and now remain. And some of you know exactly what that means. It's a word for endure. The English word for hupomeno is endure or persevere. And what, is, what does it mean to endure? It means you go under and you stay under. You can't get up. No, 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 you can't. You stay down. You stay down. You stay down. Some of you are going through suffering right now. What is it? Anything you experience that you very much do not want to experience? Some of you are going through suffering right now. Or you're having to go down and under. And you're just hanging on the bottom there. You're just, you're crawling forward, but you're still under. You're under those heavy, heavy circumstances. You're under, you're under that painful suffering. Hupomeno, remain under. That's what happened at, at Gethsemane. When Jesus is, is, is pleading with tears 
Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, you got you got to release me from this. I'm down under. I'm really under, and I can't keep crawling. I do not want to go where this baby ends. Hupo meno. He endured. That's what Calvary's all about. He's still under. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm under. Now he doesn't even call him Abba Father now. It's just God. My God, do I ever get out of this? Hupo meno. To, to remain under. To abide under. A little earlier here in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5, there's a verse that goes like this. He learned obedience, speaking of Jesus while he was here. He learned obedience from what he suffered with loud cries and tears. Apparently, there's some sort of redemptive value in this enduring, having to go under and being held under. I can't come up. I want to come up for air. I want to come up. I want to get away. No, just stay down. Stay down. There's a redemptive value because you think of the athletic world, which, by the way, came to a grinding halt when the, the Olympics were last, the last ones to jump off this ship and say, well, we'll wait till next year. In, in the world of athlete, athletes, they have a phrase, and you know it. I'll say the first half, you say the second half. No pain, no gain. You got it. What's the point? You come on, keep pushing. Come on, keep pushing. Lift that. That's heavy. Make it heavy. Stay, stay, stay. In the athletic world, endurance has a redemptive value. It builds something inside of you you never had before. Apparently, in the spiritual world, it's the same. When Jesus goes under and remains, he wants to get out. He begs to get out. But the Father says, no, son, stay, 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 stay. We're, we're going somewhere. You can't see it. Stay. Whatever you're going through right now, apparently the same Father saying to you, stay, stay, I'll get you out of here. I promise you, I promise you, this is not the end, but you got to stay down, stay, hupo meno, endure. This whole coronavirus pandemic is teaching us, the entire human race, what it means to endure. Well, as I go again, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. The emblem of suffering and shame. But I need to remind you that the, that the, that the enduring that Jesus is experiencing on the cross as he crawls toward a very uncertain end, the death that Jesus is resisting is not the, please go to sleep and rest for a while kind of death that you and I have learned that the Bible teaches. Jesus isn't begging to be released from that death. By the way, we're going to be celebrating, talking about live streaming. You can come back next week when the whole Christian world is going to be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to celebrate the very good news we have, you and I, that even though we have buried our loved ones beneath the dust of the earth, we have this hope that when Jesus returns, those dusty covers will be thrown back and up they come. We have the hope, by the way, that even if we die, we may die during this pandemic. How do I know how long I'm going to live? But what I know is that if Jesus doesn't come soon, we're all going to die. But we can die with the hope that death will be that kind of an instant. Asleep, eyes closed, eyes open, and boom. 
and the joy, the joy. But Jesus wasn't, wasn't, wasn't having to endure this fall asleep in the arms of your father kind of death. That would be our experience. No, 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 no. Jesus believed. Listen to this. When he cries out those words, and in this little living room, I'm just going to get closer to that camera and just say, you know the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he cries those words out, Jesus believes that for the, pen, for, for the sake of carrying my sin, for the sake of carrying your sin to the cross, and you say, well, what sin are you talking about? I'm talking, I'm talking about the sin you know, you know that, that, that you know very well. Your conscience right now is saying, ding, 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 ding. That's the one. That's what I'm talking about. My conscience is saying, ding, ding, ding. I understand. That's it. If it were only your sin and my sin, just those two sins, he would have died. Because that sin, my sin, deserves one wage, and the wage is eternal death. So Jesus, in order to free me from the wage I am to pay, offers to step in and pay that wage himself and die. Not just a, a wake up soon kind of death. No, 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 no. Hey, I'll be dead forever and ever. You can't understand it. I, I can't understand it either. He'd be, he'd be, he's willing to die forever for my sin so that I might live forever in his place. I mean, go figure. It, it, you can't figure it. It's beyond our comprehension. Those words in Desire of Ages. Oh, I wish I, I wish I had a screen right here. But you, you, you've probably heard these words before. Let me just remind you of them. Desire of Ages, uh, page 25. Can I read it to you? Because it's talking about this great exchange that happens. The emblem of suffering and shame for him is the emblem of joy and promise for you and me. Here's how it happens. This is Desire of Ages. Christ was treated as we deserve. You remember this one now, don't you? That we might be treated as he deserves. He was treated as we deserve, so that we might be treated as he deserves. Let's keep going. He was condemned for our sins in which he had no share, that we might be justified by his righteousness in which we had no share. And one more, he suffered the death which was ours, that we might receive the life which was his. And then it ends with this line, with his stripes we are healed. Pastor Lindsay and her, her readers just read that in Isaiah 53. By his wounds, by that death, you and I we are healed. Oh my, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Oh, there's another gospel hymn. I wish I could sing. I'd sing it for you. What wondrous love is this? Oh my soul. Remember that one? Oh my soul. What wondrous love is this? Oh my soul. What wondrous love is this? To bear the dreadful curse for my soul. Wow. The cause the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul. Now you know why I don't sing up front at all. But what wonders, how can, how can you explain this except for the L-O-V-E? That's the word. The emblem of suffering and shame. He said, nail me to it. I'm going to stay under until I win, Dwight. Until I win her, until I win him, I'm staying under. Until I win, God help me, the entire human race. Oh, I wish he would. I wish we'd say yes so that he could. Ah, uh, this agape feast. We've come together to celebrate this wondrous love. Now, I'm going to read a story, okay? And then we're going straight to that agape feast. I'm going to join Karen again. Somebody sent me this story 
uh, back in 1999. I got it right here. I mean, you know how many years ago that was? 21 years ago. I've never read it since, but I found it in my closet this week. You're going to think the story was written just two weeks ago when the pandemic exploded on this planet. No, this was written 21 years ago. See if it sounds familiar. The day is over. Okay, so the story goes like this. The day is over. You are driving home. You tune in your radio. You hear a little blurb about a little village in India where some villagers have died suddenly, strangely, of a flu that has never been seen before. It's not influenza, but three or four fellows are dead, and it's kind of interesting. They're sending some doctors over there to investigate. You don't think much about it, but on Sunday, you hear another radio spot. Only they say it's not three villagers, it's 30,000 villagers in the back hills of this particular area of India. And it's on TV that night. CNN runs a little blur. People are heading there from the disease center in Atlanta because this disease strain has never been seen before. Sound familiar? By Monday morning when you get up, it's the lead story. Not just for India, it's Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. And before you know it, you're hearing this story everywhere and they're coining it now, the mystery flu. The president has made some comment that he and everyone are praying and hoping that all will go well over there. But everyone's wondering, how are we, how are we going to contain it? That's when the president of France makes an announcement that shocks Europe. He's closing their borders. No flights from India, Pakistan, or any of the countries where this thing has been seen. That night, you're watching a little bit of CNN before going to bed. Your jaw hits your chest. When a weeping woman is translated from a French news program into English, there's a man lying in a hospital in Paris dying of a mystery flu. It has come to Europe, she sobs. Panic strikes. And we're feeling this. We know. As best they can tell, once you get it, you have, you have it for a week and you don't know it. Then you have four days of unbelievable symptoms and then you die. Britain closes its borders, but it's too late. Southampton, Liverpool, Northampton. And it's Tuesday morning when the president of the United States makes the following announcement. Due to a national security risk, all flights to and from Europe and Asia have been canceled. We've heard that one. If your loved ones are overseas, I'm sorry. They cannot come back until we find a cure for this pandemic. Wow. Within four days, our nation has been plunged into an unbelievable fear. People are selling little masks for your faces. People are talking about what, it what, if, what if it comes to this country. And preachers on Tuesday are saying it's the scourge of God. It's Wednesday night and you're at prayer meeting when somebody runs in from the parking lot and says, turn on your radio, turn on the radio. When the church listens to a little transistor radio with a microphone Stuck up to it, the announcement is made. Two women are lying in a Long Island hospital dying from the mystery flu. Within hours, it seems, this thing sweeps across the country. People are working around the clock trying to find an antidote. Nothing is working. California, Oregon, Arizona, Florida, Massachusetts. It's, it's as though it is sweeping in from the borders. Then all of a sudden, the news comes out. The code has been broken. A cure can be found. A vaccine can be made. It's going to take the blood of somebody who hasn't been infected. And so sure enough, all through the Midwest, through all those channels of emergency broadcasting, everyone is asking to do one simple thing. Go to your downtown hospital and have your blood type taken. That's all we ask of you. When you hear the sirens, sirens go off in your neighborhood, please make your way quickly, quietly, and safely to the hospitals. Sure enough, when you and your family get down there late, that night, there is a long line, and they've got nurses and doctors coming out, pricking fingers, taking blood, and putting labels on it. Your wife and your kids are out there, and they take your blood type, and they say, now, wait here in the parking lot, and if we call your name, you can be dismissed and go home. You stand around scared with your neighbors, wondering what in the world is going on, and could this be the end of the world? 
Suddenly a young man comes running out of the hospital screaming. He's yelling a name and he's waving a clipboard. What? He yells it again. And your son tugs on your jacket and says, Daddy, that's me. But before you know it, they've grabbed your little boy. Wait a minute, hold it. And they say, look, look, it's okay. His blood is clean. His blood is pure. And we want to make sure he doesn't have the disease. We think he's got the right type. Your son could save the world. Five agonizing minutes later, out come the doctors and nurses crying and hugging one another. Some are even laughing. It's for the first time that you've seen anybody laugh in a week. And an old doctor walks up to you and says, thank you, sir. Your son's blood type is perfect. It's clean. It is pure. And we can make the vaccine. And as the word begins to spread all across the parking lot full of folks, people are screaming and praying and laughing and crying. But then the gray-haired doctor pulls you and your wife aside and he says, may we see you for a moment? We didn't realize that the donor would be a minor and we need, we need you to sign a consent form. You begin to sign and, and then you see that the number of pints of blood to be taken is empty. Uh, excuse me, how, how many pints? And that's when the, the old doctor's smile fades and he says, we had no idea it would be a child. We weren't prepared, but we need it all, sir. But, 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 you don't understand. We're talking about the world here. Please sign. But, but can't you give them a transfusion? If we had clean blood, we would. Can you sign? Would you sign? In numb silence, you do. And then they say, would you like to have a moment with him before we begin? I mean, can you walk back? You're asking yourself, can you walk back into that room where he sits on the table saying, Daddy, Mommy, what's going on? Can you take his hands and say, Son, your mommy and I love you. And we would never let anything happen to you that didn't just have to be. Do you understand that? And when that old doctor comes back in and he says, I'm sorry, we, we have got to get started. People all over the world are dying. Can you leave? Can you walk out while they say, Dad, Mom, Dad, why have you forsaken me? And then next week, when they have a ceremony to honor your son, and some folks sleep through it. And some folks don't even come because they go to the lake. And some folks come with a pretentious smile and just pretend to care. Wouldn't you want to jump up and say, my son died for you. Don't you care? Is that what God is saying? My son died. Don't you know how much I care? Let's pray. Oh, God. who was killed by the virus of sin. What can we say? Except thank you, thank you, thank you. It is no wonder we will be singing the song of your love and your cross forever and ever. Amen.